Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Allie Webb. You probably know Allie best as the co-founder of Drybar, the whimsical salon that made blowouts as accessible and budget-friendly as your favorite skinny vanilla latte. After scaling to 150 plus locations and launching a product line, Allie and her partner sold Drybar to focus attention on new ventures. She has since co-founded Squeeze, a way better massage experience, OK Humans, the future of face-to-face talk therapy, and Beckett and Quill, a high-end, not high-spend jewelry line. And there's no telling what she's got up her sleeve next. What all these ventures have in common beyond Allie herself is that they opt to make something we all need or want, blowouts, massages, therapy, little luxuries, more within reach. In this sense, each endeavor also reflects what Allie represents on a more personal level as a stay-at-home mom turned mogul. She makes launching a business, following a dream, or frankly, just doing the damn thing within reach. Something any woman could do as long as she's willing to jump. While she's graced the covers of today's most esteemed business and beauty publications, has lent her expertise on the hit show, my personal favorite, Shark Tank, and has a top-rated podcast, Raising the Bar, with her partner, Adrian. Ali's gift to the world isn't her celebrity, but her realness, and the way in which she unapologetically and authentically sheds light on her life experiences, even the messy parts. It's her willingness to speak the truth and share the lows with the highs that makes her so relatable. Yes, she's an extremely successful entrepreneur and investor, which we will dive into today. But yes, she's also just like you, a woman who survived a public divorce and found love on the other side, a mom who bravely and full-heartedly sent her son to rehab, a person who loves to give back and finds value in not only how well her ventures do, but how she makes people feel. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Allie Webb. Well, thank you. Welcome to the show. You know, it's funny. There's a couple of things in there that have changed. I actually recently just became the president of a company called Canopy, which I can talk more about, but that's really like where a lot of my focus is now too, but we can get into all of that. But thanks for having me. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I know you're uh, somehow taking on another venture. You continue to surprise. But yeah, I'm so excited to have you here and, and chat about your 20s. You know, just so you know too, like this show stemmed from, and I know you're a past Own It speaker, so kind of stems from some of the work that I've done there. Like the 20s are hard and like you've done all these incredible businesses, but in your 20s, you may not have known that and you didn't start these in your 20s. And so we're here to kind of chat about what you did do and how what you learned in your 20s, you know, influenced you later on. So, but before we get into that, I do like to start with just like, you know, a light question. What is something new that you learned in this past week? You know, maybe it has something to do with Canopy, which I know you're now the president of. Maybe it's a conversation you had with a girlfriend, but something new you learned that you want to share with the audience. Gosh, I feel like I learned so many things all the time, but I think I'm, it's like a thing that I constantly have to keep relearning really is like being really curious and open. I tend to, I actually did an Instagram post about this this week because it was something that really hit me because the notion of like being right all the time or not being curious about what's going on for somebody else, or even curious about what's going on for you. I think that's like a thing that I have to, unfortunately, 
keep fucking relearning. You know, it's like, how many times do I have to learn this lesson before it sticks, which I don't know that it ever sticks. And I think that's why, you know, we're all always on this like journey and this evolution of like trying to be the best versions of ourselves. You know, I think I went through a phase where I did so much work on myself. And then afterwards I was like, all right, done with that chapter. Let's move on. No more work, you know? And then you kind of, that doesn't work. But it wasn't until so much later in my life that I noticed of those things and realized like I really needed to focus on, on that like curiosity piece and being curious about someone else versus just being worried about myself, which is really apropos to your show because when you're in your 20s, it's really, I'm sure it's much worse and you don't even know it's there, you know, which I definitely didn't, you know, it's like, I think the younger we are, the way more self-involved we are by nature and it's human and it's like no bad, but it is interesting having, I have a 17 year old and a 15 year old and my fiance has really little kids who are six and eight, you know, and the level of self-consumption with those kids is like, oh, but I get it. And I was the same way, you know, and, and certainly in your twenties, you think you know everything, <laughs> you know, you think you have all the answers, which is honestly like a superpower and a good thing. I think, you know, I think that had I not felt that way, like I could do anything and you couldn't stand in my way. And I didn't think about the consequences back then served me really well, you know, but as I got older I, and went through some hard stuff, I realized like, I need to like get a little more curious about other people that I care about in my life, you know? So I love that. And it's hard sometimes as an entrepreneur because you're so self-involved even like with your businesses and like that's your identity. And so to step back and actually ask questions about other people is not easy. And I know your fiance is an executive coach. And so his whole job is to be curious about other people. What's that been like? Like what has he taught you? I mean, I imagine as you've gone on that journey, I'm sure he's helped you a lot kind of realize the importance of that. Yeah, he really has. And I mean, it is kind of ironic because whenever we're having an argument, I always am like, don't coach me, you know, which it's just like, it's just who he is. So it's not even like it. And he doesn't even notice. It's just how he thinks about things. But I think Adrian really helped me a lot. When we first met is when my son was really going through it. And he was, I didn't know how to talk to him. You know, he was like 15 years old and he was struggling and I was more coming from it as like, what are you doing? And you shouldn't be doing this. And why are you doing that? And like, versus trying to understand what was going on for him back to the curious thing and getting curious about what was he really struggling underneath with it all. And that was really what, one of the things that Adrian really taught me early on was like, just ask a lot of questions, you know, just ask him a lot of questions, like, and just listen and just listen versus the like inclination we all have, which is like, let me tell you what I think. And let me tell you what I think is right. And I'm your mom and I should know. And, and I do believe that a lot, but letting him feel open and free to talk to me about whatever was going on. So, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from him. And I feel like that's one of the big things and, and really like looking at things from a different perspective. And he really He's really taught me to also like, you know, accept people where they are versus like where we want them to be. You know, it's like, I wish you acted like this and I wish you were like this and, you know, but it's like, you're not. And I have to either accept you and love you where you are and who you are, or I have to move on or not. And I think when it comes to like your kids or like my case, like sometimes like kids aren't actually how we want them to be and they're not doing what we want them to do, but you try to love them where they are no matter what. And I think it really holds true with like all the relationships in our lives, like our girlfriends, like they don't always do what we want them to do. Our parents don't always do what we want them to do. Like nobody ever does all the things we want them to be, to do. And they're not like us. And, they, and that's one of the things that I get a lot from Adrian is this like, 
you know, I'm not like you, so I'm not going to think like you or answer like you or respond like you, which I'm like, why you should, you know, but, but of course you're not going to, you know, so that's been an interesting, like looking in the mirror for me too. So yeah, lots of things. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, I think it's so true also for your twenties that it's all about the journey. And even if, you know, your parents or your friends might not agree with your journey, it's your journey. And you're going to end up where you're meant to end up and really trusting that process and like almost having like a spiritual energy about it. Like it will work out. And like the hard times your son went through, that's all part of his journey. And it's going to make him that much stronger and that much more interesting and that much more well-rounded and all the things. And I think it's an important part of your 20s because so often you're not doing things that your parents think you should be doing or you're not doing what society tells you to do. And I think it's really important to have that like self-assurance that it's going to work out even if everyone doesn't agree with you. But easier said than done. In, you know, work out is such a subjective term. You know, I think that we feel like if I get this job or if this, you know, whatever thing works out, then like, then I'll be happy and then things will be good. But really it's, you know, it's like sometimes things not working out the way we wanted them to are actually better for us. And I've, I've experienced that. I'm sure everybody has when you, in retrospect, it's very clear and easy to see that if something didn't work out, which led to something else working out is really powerful. But when you're in the moment, you're like, you just think everything is so bad. But it's like knowing, having faith and trust that like there's something else bigger at play here than, than you can see in the moment. Yeah, I think that's such a strong theme for your 20s is having faith that there's something bigger. I love that. So thank you for your answer. That was so good. I guess we'll start now. Before we dive into your 20s, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your childhood. You know, I know your parents were more in the fashion space, kind of exposed you to business early on. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you wanted to be when you were younger and maybe how your parents helped influence that? Well, I mean, I was definitely all over the place as a kid. I grew up in South Florida, so it was like, you know, frizzy hair central. And I always loved doing hair. And I, well, I always like loved trying to figure out how to do my hair, which was like, I think the reason I ended up going to beauty school. But I didn't like give into that until I was really in my early 20s. But as I was growing up, I was always like experimenting with different things. One of the biggest things that I thought I would do was I really wanted to be a professional tennis player. And also because I was out Florida, you know, tennis was a big thing there. And I, went to Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy. So, you know, some people might know what that is. Other people won't. But if you follow tennis, you know that like Andre Agassi went there and Monica Sellis, who were like, you know, big deals back then. I, you know, I really wanted to do that. And I, I did it for a good couple of years. And then after I realized like I didn't have what it took to be like a professional tennis player, which is what I wanted, you know, my parents were so supportive of it, but it just, I knew it wasn't going to be. And then I started getting into high school and got excited about like a lot of different things and, and the discipline that you need to be that kind of tennis player, I kind of lost. So that was probably my biggest thing. But I also did a lot of sports. I was definitely like a sports girl. I always tried out for cheerleading. I never made it. And so I always like sports were like my fallback. I played volleyball and soccer and ran track. And and I think that that stuff served me well. You know, it really like, I feel like I am an athlete today. I work out pretty regularly. And I think that's like a good I think it's just such a good mental thing to have and to have that as something that you just do. I mean, you know how how good it feels when you work out, even if we don't want to go do it. And that is a really, I think, important part of like your whole mental game overall in your life, you know? So that, that like foundation, I think was really important for me. 
I love that. Yeah, it's funny. We actually have a lot of like entrepreneurs who were athletes growing up. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. And I think it's like this idea. I think that like you have this like extreme discipline, this one goal that, you know, you're really excited about. You have some games you win, some games you lose, but you know, the end game is really like just to be the best you can be. So that's really cool that you want to do tennis. Did you at all have an interest in hair, in beauty, in fashion when you were in high school? Or did you feel like it was really just sports and that came a little later? No, it was. I was just so like confused and mystified. Well, mostly about hair because not really beauty, but hair and fashion. Like my parents had clothing stores. So I always loved me and my, it was like a daily, a weekly thing. Every Saturday, me and my mom would go shopping at the mall. You know, it was like <laughs> grew up in Boca and Town Center Mall. I never thought of it as like a long-term thing, but I was really always curious because my hair was so curly. I was like, how do I make my hair look like models and like women on TV? I was like, I don't understand how they get the, like, how does their hair go from like what mine looks like to that, you know? And it was always this thing that was in the back of my mind. And I spent countless, I mean, hours and hours and hours trying to blow dry my hair when I was in high school and it, it never worked out. And then I worked at a hair salon as a receptionist one year when I was in high school. And that was like amazing. And I loved it. I loved the energy in the shop. I loved that they would blow out my hair for free. And I would like, I would study it. I would watch what they were doing because I really wanted to learn for myself how to do it. I was just, I was so enthralled with hair. And that was why I ultimately, you know, part of the reason I ultimately decided to go to beauty school. I mean, I always joke around and say that I went to beauty school just to learn how to blow out my own hair because I was like, damn it, I need to figure this out. You know, obviously now I know and now it seems easy, but I can see how it's hard. I just had this very unruly hair that it was, it was challenging, but I think it was like, it was that common thread that I had that I really wanted to learn how to do it. And then, you know, when I decided to go to beauty school, my parents were like less than thrilled, you know, they were like, really cosmetology school. And they kind of like, and my parents had like these little old lady clothing stores in these shopping centers in Delray and Boca. And next to them was like, this like little old lady hair salon. And they're like, that's what you want to do. And I, you know, of course I was like, no, I want to move to New York and I want to do, you know, fashion shows and editorial. And that's kind of what I thought I would end up doing, which I didn't. I did move to New York and I did end up doing hair. I lived in New York all of my twenties. I didn't go to college. I feel like New York was like my college, you know, and I ended up stopping doing hair for a little while and had kids and whatever. And then I started dry bar years later. I love that, that you were receptionist. Did you feel like when you were in that environment, you were like, oh my gosh, this is the type of team I want to create. Because obviously later down the line at Dry Bar, you were building these like basically mini hair salons all over the place. And you kind of had that like early insight into what a fun, collaborative, you know, meaningful place looked like. Do you feel like you pulled back on that when you ended up building Dry Bar? For sure. But I wasn't definitely wasn't thinking about it then. I think as like a, you know, true 20 year old, I was like, constantly on to the next thing, you know? And I also, when I did decide to go to beauty school and, and I was still living in Boca, while I was going to beauty school, I would then also work at a hair salon under the owner of a, a different hair salon. And I learned so much from him. And I, my main focus was just learning how to do hair from him. But I did end up learning so much about business that I, I really wasn't even paying attention to. But I was like, people who work for him would constantly be coming over and asking him questions. And he was just, he was running the shop from his chair. And I 
learned so much that I was not paying attention to, which, you know, is something that I talk about a lot is that like all of the experiences that we have, while we may not even be thinking about it in the moment, how they're enriching us as we go really do. And that, you know, yes, working in high school, I, that was when I first got like the bug for, I like, I know I like being in this environment with hairstylists and hairstylists are so fun and cool and creative. And they're just like a fun, fun group to be around. And then, you know, I loved working in, and I worked in several salons in my twenties and always really enjoyed the whole like camaraderie and it was just fun and everyone was working really hard. I always really liked it, but I was also like getting an education and running a business that I wasn't even really aware of. And then, you know, when, when I was like probably like 24 or something, I stopped doing hair and I started working at Rogers and Cowan, which is a big PR firm with like really big clients. They had an opening for an assistant in the music department. So I took that job and that was super fun, which was a complete departure from all these years I'd now spent developing, you know, this skill in hair. And I just wanted something different because I was a 20 year old and I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm going to try something new. And, and that job was a really important part of my journey too, because that's where I learned how to like compose an email. Like I had never sat at a desk in my life. And so I didn't, I didn't have that like professionalism that I, that I would later need to like run a company, you know? And so that was an, an interesting and important step, stepping stone of my ultimate journey. You know, it was like, I couldn't have ever known that other than that piece of it. I don't think that anything, there's anything that came out of that job other than the experience of like learning how to work with people and be professional and write press releases and write emails. Like that turned out to be a really invaluable skill that I didn't really have honed in yet, which, you know, that job gave me. So I'm such a big believer in like, trust your path. If you keep doing the things that you really love, that will help build who you become, you know? And I really think that all of the jobs and all of the experiences that I had, you know, mainly when I was in New York really served me well to, you know, who I am now and what I've ultimately done. I love that. That's so cool hearing that story. And like, I, you're totally right. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You could have never known. You were not applying for that PR job being like, I want to learn how to write an email. I really want to understand the world. Like, you don't know that. Okay, so you're a receptionist at a hair salon. You're in high school. And then you decide beauty school, which is amazing. You're at beauty school. You're learning under, and I believe his name is John Sahag, right? He was like the pioneer of dry cutting. He was doing all the celebrities back in the day. He was a big deal. So I want to know how you got that opportunity. Like, I mean, that's incredible. You're, you know, at cosmetology school and you're working with this guy who's a legend. There's a lot written about him. How did you get that opportunity? And can you tell me a little bit more about like working with him and, and how he, I know you mentioned he helped teach you a little bit about the business side, but like, how was working with him? Well, it was actually two different guys. When I lived in Florida, I worked under a guy named John Peters and that was in Booker Tone. But he was who turned me on to John Tahog, who was in New York City. So by the time I moved to New York City, I'd already had my cosmetology license and John Tahog was like the only person I wanted to work for. And I walked in that job very, very confidently. And I, I knew a lot about John Tahog and had done a lot of research on him. And ironically, his, his salons were very like zen and quiet and every, it was just kind of like the MO in there and like didn't wash dishes at like the highest level the water would turn on. It was like mid-level and like there was like waterfalls throughout the salon and everybody talked kind of low. It was such a trip and certainly not like my vibe and obviously like dry bars so wild and crazy, but that was what it was. And it was historically not most salons aren't like that. They're all very loud and there's a lot going on, but th that was the vibe here. And you know, John was like this super cool kind of legend in the hair world. And I, <laughs> I remember walking in, like, I was like, all right, be cool, look cool, 
be cool, you know? And it's like, not that I was very cool, but I, you know, I put on like leather pants and I was like, I got really dressed up and I made sure my hair looked really good. And I like, I think I, again, I wasn't really into makeup, but I really showed up for that job because I wanted to impress him and I wanted him to think I was cool. And I remember, and I've told this story before, but I remember walking in and like locking eyes with him because he sat, his chair was set up where he could see kind of the whole salon. And I locked eyes with him and I could just tell, you know, right. When someone like looks at you and you look at them and you know that like, it's just working, you know, and that really, really happened. And, and then I interviewed and, you know, he, he really liked me and I interviewed with a couple of people and it, it all went really well. And then I ended up getting a job there, but as an assistant, you know, even though I had had my cosmetology license at this point, I had to like start over and be an assistant for him and, and a couple other stylists, which I was like fine with, you know, cause I was happy to just learn more and just to honestly be in his presence was such a big deal to me, which is like, I don't know if it's like a lost art now, but it is like, you know, for me, it was like just being around somebody like that who was so great and talented was just such a thrill. And it wasn't, you know, craft that I loved and an environment that was really fun and, and energizing, even though it was totally different. And I used to have to like walk John's, like he had these massive greyhound dogs. I had to walk on fucking Madison Avenue, which, you know, you can do the math on that. Like it was, it was a very humbling experience, you know, and, and at the time I probably hemmed and hawed over it, but I, I'm so glad I did all of that. And there was like a lot of grit building and a lot of like, you just do whatever you can do and you just work really hard. And back then it was a very different, like, time and work ethic. It was like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong and people should take breaks and whatever, but like I didn't, you know, we worked and worked and worked and worked, you know? And it was like, that was just how it was. I didn't, I didn't really want it. I was like, I would run back and take a bite of a sandwich and be like, okay, what's next? You know, it was just, I just had so much passion and energy around what I was doing and everybody was kind of like that. And it was definitely a different era. And, and again, I want to be careful to, to say that like, I understand the importance, especially now of taking a break and mental health. But I also think there is this like work really hard at the same time, you know, where, you know, it didn't feel like work, I guess, in, you know, is the best way to put it, that it felt really fun and energizing to be a part of a team and to be in this world with these amazing people and learning so much every day. I love that. Yeah. And when you find something you're passionate about, right, it's not work. I think what you're saying too about John, I think is so interesting. This idea that you found someone who was the best at what they do. And you like went to them to have them teach you everything they know. And I kind of have this philosophy myself, like I want to get close to the sun and then have like be like a sponge around them, like learn everything and find like, who are like these people that are incredible at what they do. So like, I mean, as an example, if someone now wants to start a wellness company, they should probably hit you up, you know, or like finding those people that really are experts and like soaking up as much as you can, especially when you're in your twenties, because if you're willing to be that assistant and you're willing to hustle, like you said, and walk the dogs, like it can go a really long way, especially if someone like John can vouch for you. Do you feel like really strongly that that was, I mean, maybe now you look back and you say, yeah, that was great. But was that how you were thinking about it too? Like I wanted to find the expert and learn as much as I could? Uh, some subconscious level, you know, I don't think I was thinking that way. I think consciously anyways, I think subconsciously, yes. You know, that I, and and I probably have always done that. You know, I've always like, gone to like the best of the best, or if I'm in a room, there's, you know, I'm seeking out a person who that I think is someone I can learn from for sure. I just don't think I had language around it until now. Totally. That's fair. Okay. So you're working with John, you're in New York city, living the dream. We wanted to go from Florida, to New York city. We're there. Very exciting. And then what's next? Did the PR firm come next or did, was there another stop along the way? John Sahag, I worked, yeah, I worked at Rogers and Cowan and that was 
really awesome. And then after that, you know, I met my now ex-husband and we, we kind of had been in New York for almost 10 years and we were ready for a change. And so we decided to move to LA because he worked in advertising and he's, he's like the creative genius behind Drybar and the branding. And that was, you know, it was like New York, LA, San Francisco were really the places to be. And so we moved to LA and I had my first son when I was 30 and yeah, we were here in LA. And, you know, I really thought like at that point I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And like, that was like my kind of lot in life, which I was really grateful and felt really lucky about that I was able to, you know, be a stay-at-home mom. And after like three or four years of that, I started to feel like, oh shit, I got to do something else. Like I miss being out there in the world using my brain. Like not that being a mom isn't using your brain, but it was like, so much kids stuff, you know? And I was like, I need something for me that's stimulating, that's adult stuff. And I missed being around adults. I missed having like a job. I missed like the intensity and like the chaos of being busy that way, where I was really just all consumed with like the kids and being at a park. And I just felt like I needed, I needed something more. And that's totally fair. And obviously you ended up doing that. You followed that intuition for sure. Throughout this time, like even when you were at the PR firm and, you know, even when you had moved back, were you thinking about hair at all? Were you thinking, I'm going to do my friend's hair or I have any interest or not really? Was it kind of just like, I have this awesome skill and I did really like it, but I've moved on with my life and I'm doing other things now? Yeah, it really wasn't on my radar all that much. But, you know, I like my best friend who has really curly hair, you know, she knew I, I did hair. And so she always asked me to blow dry her hair and I would, you know, and, and that was a little bit of what, you know, kind of gave me the idea to start straight at home, which would, you know, turn into dry bar, which was my mobile blowout business. Because when I got to that point, like I was saying with my kids, where I felt like I needed to start something else and do something for myself, I did, you know, think like, what do I want to do? I don't want to go back to like a job job because I wanted freedom to, you know, to still be able to pick up my kids from school and not be working tons of hours. And it's like, do I want to go back into a salon part-time? Like what feels right? And that's when I decided to start the mobile blowout business because that was something I could do like on my own pace. And yes, I did have girlfriends who were always asking me to blow dry their hair. And even when I was cutting hair in a salon, what I loved about it was getting through the haircut to do the blowout because that's when you really saw it like come to life. So that was really what informed me to do my mobile business, especially like I was doing clients hair, like in their living room and not in front of a mirror. And it was just like no pressure. And, and, and I was only charging $40. So it was really more again of like, let me get out of the house do something for myself. And then, then I just, there was so much demand and I realized like, oh, I got to maybe do this on a bigger scale. I love that. And it started off as just like something fun and light and a project. And I think like not enough businesses now start out that way. You know, a lot of the times it's like, I'm going to build something massive and go raise venture capital, whatever. But you were just like, no, like I want to get out of the house and, you know, make some extra money and chat with my girlfriends. And, you know, it started from just such a light way. And it turned into obviously some such an empire. So what was that moment between like, I have my mobile business and it's more of a casual freelance thing to I'm actually going to now build this into like an empire. And was it signing your first in-person store? Was it finalizing branding? Like, what was that first step where you felt like, okay, this is, or maybe it was saying, I'm going to do this full time. But like, what were those moments where it really turned from something that was fun and light to something that was like a little bit more serious and, and making it a big real business to scale? Well, first, I want to go back to what you're saying about being like fun and versus like where a lot of people, especially you know, I even get like, you know, entrepreneurs that want me to like mentor them or help them. And they're, you know, in this like, I want to build this really big thing and I want to scale it and then sell it, and whatever. And I'm like, you are in this for the wrong reasons. And not to say that there's anything wrong 
with wanting to grow and eventually sell a company, like sure. But you would lack an authenticity that's incredibly important to like the point I think you're making is that I didn't have any grandiose ideas of turning dry bar into this like massive blow dry empire. I just wanted to do something that I really loved. And I felt like very organically, I realized like there was women out there that loved a blowout that was an affordable price. And, and especially in LA, and it's obviously where I started, it was like, you know, someone to come to your house to do a blowout for $40 is unheard of. Like you're paying at least 150, if not $200, if not more for a home blowout. So I realized that that was an, a hole in the marketplace. So like, and then I decided to open up our first dry bar with like, you know, like that's it. Like I wanted to do one shop that would be able, so I could now meet the demand of like all the blowout business that I was accumulating that I couldn't do all on my own, you know? And it was just like, it was so fun and it was really cool to like watch it get busy and people love it. And, and it wasn't until like that happened and we realized that like, we had like a crazy waiting list and we had like so much demand that we realized, okay, like we might be onto something. We probably need to expand this thing. And then it was like, do we, how, how big do we want to expand it? And, and how big will it go? And my brother, who's my business partner, he was always like, we have to prove the concept and we have to prove it in different States. And of course it works in LA. I mean, his like, his whole thing was like, LA women have too much time and too much money on their hands. Like, of course it works there. And then we opened in Arizona and it killed it. And then we opened in Dallas and, it, and it, same. It was like every city we opened in, it did really well. And I think that was when, you know, we started to really realize we were really onto something. Like, this is something that has like, that can go anywhere. There's women with hair, <laughs> which basically became like our motto because it was true. You know, I mean, the, the price point was affordable. The experience was amazing you know, you ran into your girlfriends. It was just like, you could work while you were getting a blowout and then you didn't have to do your hair for a couple of days. It was just like so many great things. And, and, you know, and that's when we realized like, oh shit, we have the opportunity to build this really massive business. And then, you know, and then we, you know, kind of back to what you were saying earlier, then we realized like, oh shit, we don't know how to do this. Like we need people to help us. And that's, you know, when my, my brother really, who had a little bit more business experience than me, you know, had the foresight to know, like, we got to start hiring people who know how to run and scale a business. Because, you know, by the time we got to like 11 stores, which we were basically like bootstrapping ourselves at 11 stores, we probably had like almost 500 employees, which was like a lot and a lot to manage. I mean, today it's more like 4,000 employees, but back then when there was 10 or 11 stores, you know, making sure we got people paid and like just making the whole thing run got significantly harder and it was just us. And so we realized very quickly that we're going to have to like hire people who are smarter than us and know things that we don't and have grown and scaled a business before because we had it. So it was a slow like evolution of like growth and realizing we're onto something. So it was never like, you know, it's like, keep your eye on the prize. Like you've heard that statement before. For us, it was like, don't fuck it up. You know, it was like, let's just like, not mess this thing up. Let's just like keep it going because there was a real opportunity to mess it up, which we've seen, you know, frankly, in a lot of our competitors who don't know why they're doing half the things that they do. And obviously based on my background, I have a lot of experience in this space, but there was a real opportunity to make a lot of wrong turns and and surely we made some, but ultimately like I think by bringing in people who were able to like kind of complement and supplement the things that we didn't know was a really wise decision that, I, you know, that I would love to sit here and take credit for. But it was really my brother, you know, who was like my partner, who was like, my brother was the CEO. And he's like, I don't really know how to do some of this stuff. And 
I remember when we brought in the president of Pinkberry before she came to work for us, which is like a big deal. Like 10 years ago, Pinkberry was like the shit. And she started hiring all these people and she started putting all these systems into place. It was like, talk about not knowing what you don't know. Like we were like, oh, oh, like that's a great idea. Like that's a great idea. Why don't you think of that? You know, it's just like, it's so mind blowing all the things that you don't know that you don't know. And I found that really exciting and energizing. And then watching our company, you know, go from 11 stores to 20 to 40 to 60, you know, and not mess it up was really kind of cool. So awesome to hear you talk about that. Yeah, it's right. You don't know how much you can automate until it's automated. And you're like, wait a sec, I don't have to do that every day. That's so exciting. And I think too, like this comment about like knowing when to bring someone in, there's such like a egoless play there. Like I think so often people now want to be the one that makes it and does it and like take the credit. And knowing that you were guys were, and you said, you know, shout out to your brother, like humble enough to be like, we took it this far, which is so impressive and so far, but like maybe someone else can help us. I think is a really, really cool attribute. Very underrated now because everyone wants to kind of take credit for building something and be the only ones that do it. And, you know, and it's like, no, we actually need a team and we need experienced people. And I think that's really cool you guys did that. I think you hear that from, I mean, the leaders that I've, you know, followed, Seth Godin. Yes, the marketing guy. Yeah, yeah. And other people that, you know, I've, you know, just paid attention to over the years, like they bring in people, there's not a lot of ego. And, and surely there are. I mean, we, we're watching right now that the show about Uber, the guy, I don't really know much about that backstory. So it's all really interesting to me. And he's like, it's all about him. And it's like, it's exactly what you're talking about. And I really don't know people like that. But, I, but watching the show is like, holy shit, that is like a crazy way. I mean, whatever they really successful with, you know, not without a lot of problems. But, you know, my point is, is that I think that like you get the best out of people around you too, when you give people autonomy and you, at the end of the day, what I think is really most important and like, doesn't matter what you think. It's like, then you lose people. They don't want to work for you. Nobody wants to be in that kind of environment. So, you know, those leaders that are, have that very egocentric kind of leadership, it's like, I can't imagine it, it works very often. I know. I, another show that's coming out, the dropout, the Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos one. I don't know if you uh, are seeing that, but that's coming out, I think, this week. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm curious. Well, so much has happened since I read the book a couple of years ago. So I'm, yeah, I would definitely watch that. That was a fascinating story too. Oh, yeah. It'll be good. It's it's very egocentric and it's interesting to see and piece apart like and and say, how does that happen? Because we not, not everyone starts off that way, but, you know, forces at play make you that way. So one question I'm really curious about is just, you know, you bring in these people that are experts in these different areas. You talk about how, you know, your ex-husband was kind of the creative genius behind a lot of this. Your brother was running all like the operations stuff. What was the lane that you were most excited about? What was the thing that you were like, I know this inside and out, or this is what I love to do? And like, what do you feel like was your biggest contribution or that you felt like I can own this part of the business? Yeah, I mean, precisely why I think the partnership worked between all three of us was because we had such different skill sets. And yes, my brother was like the business side of things. Cam was creative. And, you know, I had like the hair experience and I knew how to like speak stylist language. I knew how to do hair. I knew how to run a shop. Like, you know, and, and so like customer service, hair, like the in-shop experience was really my area. And it was really what I was best at. And I, in the early days, like when we didn't have a lot of help and I was having to do like payroll and all of that stuff, like that was a little bit scary, you know, because it just wasn't what I was good at. And I needed help in that stuff. But, you know, how to run a shop and how to like make sure the stylist had what they needed and were happy and making sure clients were happy and had what they needed and that the shop was humming and all these things were happening. That was all 
my lane and what I would eventually train other managers and district managers on of like how to like run the shop the way that I wanted it to be run in the way that, you know, I think it worked. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would have guessed based on all the things you're explaining, but it's really cool that you had that experience. And like, you saw it as a receptionist, you saw it as someone who understood hair, you saw it as someone who's like, you had like that management skills. I love that. That's really cool. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I know you started a lot of businesses. Some might call you a serial entrepreneur. And so for a lot of our listeners, we do have a lot of 20-something women who are entrepreneurs. Typically when they're in their 20s, this is their first business, maybe their second business. But I do think seeing you've started so many successful businesses is really inspiring. And so is there any piece of advice you would give to like young 20-somethings, specifically those that want to start a bunch of businesses that have all these ideas, but they're in their 20s? Like, is there some advice that you would give that specific group? Well, you know, I would say like, don't be in a rush, you know, and it's interesting because I'm experiencing that a little bit with my son who's 17 and he's like, you know, he's so driven and he's like, he wants to make money and he's like, has all these ideas. And I'm very like in favor of him trying all these things. But I like, you know, I'm like, go travel abroad for a year and like work at companies. And like, he's like, well, you know, he's like, I can find everything on YouTube. I'm like, like, yeah, you can learn a lot that way, but like being in person and being in a company and see how things run. And, you know, I think this may not be the best advice for everybody, but for me, it's like, go try a bunch of things in your twenties. Like, even if you have like great ideas of like, you know, businesses and things that you want to do, you know, the more, I mean, again, another cliche, like knowledge is power, but it is. And if you go and you soak up all these different things that you're even like remotely interested in. Like for me, like I said, I lived in New York City in my 20s and I bounced around from job to job and I really feel like that was my college. Like I don't, I say, you know, all the time I didn't go to college, but like I did get an education in my 20s, which I think is like part of why people go to college. I mean, also for me, I was like, I grew up with very liberal parents. And so I, I wasn't using college as like party, like now I go to college and like party my face off. You know, so for me, I was like, I want to go to New York and like figure out what I like and what I want to do, which, you know, was, was like a moving target constantly. But I really do think, and it might be hard to advice to take if you, you know, have this idea and you want to do this thing and you, and maybe that is a thing, but we change so much in our twenties, like of like who we are and what we like and all of that. And so I feel like go explore all that shit, you know, explore this like crazy idea that your parents think you're crazy for, or go explore this thing that like, you like, there's no chance you're going to get that job. Like try, you know? And I, I think that like, again, this was very much my path and trajectory, but it was like, you know, trying this job and trying this job and, and eventually like building up, you know, a strong foundation of, of a person, you know, you're also like young and stupid in your twenties. And like, I did have job. I mean, I had one very painful job interview that I, that I learned so much from, you know, it's like, go blow a job interview. So you learn what not to do. It's just like, all of that is so, and you never, is what I also tell my kids. It's like, you will never get the chance in your life other than really your, your early twenties to be like free and not have to take care of anybody. You have some help from your parents in some cases, not always, but like, it's a very free time. And it's, it's impossible to really understand that until you're on the other side and you're like, you have a mortgage to pay and you have to put food on the table and you have to provide a house and like all the things that we have to do as we get older. But when you're in that like sweet spot of your twenties, it's like the world is your oyster. You can go do whatever you want. And like, nobody really cares, like go do your thing. And then, you know, you can be like serious and build your business later. So 
Yeah, I feel really strongly about that. I love that. No, that's so good to hear. I think it's hard though when you have all these passions and all these things you want to do and you want to get started right away and you know build your life. I would tell people too, if you do, like if you're interested in like like the pet care industry, that's so, so random, but like go work at a, bunch, at a bunch of places, you know, go educate yourself, see what you like, see what you don't like, see what you think's working out there, see what you think is not working out there. And then take all this skill and experience, which by the way, when you're trying to build something and then you're trying to like pitch it to somebody to invest in you so you can actually financially build that thing. You know, the first thing an investor is going to say, first thing I would say is like, how much do you know about this? Like, do you have any experience with this? And if they say, no, I just have this great idea. I'm going to say, well, go get some experience and then let's talk. You know, it's like, you don't know, again, this is back to like, you don't know what you don't know. And if you're just, you want to open like a doggy daycare, I don't know why I thought of that. And you, you have no idea what works and what doesn't work and one that already exists, like you're going to learn a lot on the job and like on my dime, like, no, I'm not funding that, you know? So it's very multifaceted, you know, of, of like knowing when to start a business after you've gained a fair amount of experience, you know, in some way or another. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to get that, ex- like that knowledge, like it's jobs, but it's also books and it's podcasts and it's conferences. And it's like all these other things that it doesn't always have to be like your whole career. You're committing to something. You can just dabble in a lot of different things. You know, I do have to ask about this job interview. You teased it. And now I have to ask, I want to hear how did you bomb it? What was it? I'm so curious. I was living in New York city and I was in that phase of like, what do I want to do with my life still? And I think I had already been doing hair. Yes, I had been doing hair. And I was like trying to figure out what was going to be next for me. And I thought I wanted to work in fashion. I worked for Nicole Miller for a little while. And then I also worked for Cynthia Raleigh. Again, this was like 30 years ago. And Nicole and Cynthia were really big designers at that time. And I got a gig like working as a receptionist in Cynthia Raleigh's showroom in New York, which is really fun. And, and she used to come in and out and like, we had this really great rapport and I, I really liked her and I really liked her stuff. And the opportunity came up that she was looking for an assistant, like a personal assistant, which I was like, that sounds so cool. You know, it's like, I could learn from her and then maybe that will like jumpstart my new career in fashion, you know, and I'd already been doing hair at that point, but again, trying to figure it out, like what I want to do. So my friend who had like set me up with the, with the receptionist position, set me up with an interview with Cynthia. And so I, I, you know, I had this interview with her and she was asking me a bunch of questions and, you know, it was thinking back about it. It was a really like casual interview. Like we weren't sitting across from each other at desk. We were like in like a study or something in her, her house or her office, but we were just having this like fluid conversation. She was kind of walking around the room. I remember. And I think that maybe I felt really comfortable and this is why I did this, but I, she asked me after a series of questions, it was going great. She asked me like, you know, why I wanted this job and why I wanted to be a personal assistant. And I said something so stupid, like, you know, I just want to try something new and I'm kind of sick of being in the hair industry. And I like vomited all this, like, and I, you know, I said, like, I don't want to be in the service business anymore. And I don't really want to like be so subservient over like people and blah, blah. And basically went on this whole like rant about how I don't want to like serve somebody, which is like, I'm interviewing for a personal assistant job, which is completely the job, you know? And after it all came out of my mouth, I was like, I knew it. You know, I knew it in that moment. And then my friend, Sally, who got me the interview, she called me the next day and she's like, what did you say to her? She's like, you did not get that job. And I was like, oh my God, I know. I went on this whole fucking spiel about how I didn't want to be in a subservient role, which is like, assistant is that. 
to a T, you know? And so I didn't get the job and I was so bummed because I, and I had never not gotten a job and any job I didn't ever interviewed for up till then I had gotten and I didn't get the job. And I was so bummed because I really wanted that job. I thought it would have been so cool. And I really liked her. And so I didn't get it. And then, you know, there, there went my like dreams of being working somehow in the fashion career, but like, thank God I didn't get that job. You know, who knows what would have happened. It all works out. I know. Thank you for sharing that story. That's actually hilarious. And I think that actually happens more frequently than we realize. Like when you're comfortable with someone, you can kind of overshare and not realize. Well, and then it would be great because I said what was really in my heart. Sometimes when we're in this, like, let me say what I think I should say. And let me say like the right thing. You say something that you don't mean. And I think because I was comfortable I felt like, let me be really open with her. And, and when I said that, it was like, she knew. And I, on some level knew that this wasn't like the thing for me, you know? And then the next job I ended up in was working in PR. I think that that thing happened right before PR, which really ended up being a much better fit for me. It's interesting too, to hear you talk about this job interview for Cynthia Rowley, because it kind of goes back to my earlier point about wanting to work for John like that you just kept finding these people that you were like, oh, wow, this is something I'm interested in and they're clearly amazing at it. I'm going to go learn from them. And I think that's so bold of you and so cool because a lot of people in their 20s just kind of grab the nearest job and they don't always think about like, who's the person that's really doing it at the highest level that I can go learn from. And I think that's really powerful. And that's, I think, how you've gotten as far as you have is you probably keep doing that with everything you do. On another note, I do have a question because it's something I'm personally curious about. Speaking of finding the experts, I know you know Jessica Zweig and she's the personal branding expert. And so I know you've been working with her and, you know, so much of your career, we talk about how it's kind of, it was like all over the place in your 20s, which is what it should be and it is for everyone. But recently it's so cohesive and it's so clear and you've got such a through line. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with work with her. But can you tell me a little bit like how you think about your career now? I mean, you, you've, you've co-founded all these companies and now you're president of a new company and you've got your podcast and, you know, you're an author and you've got all these things. It was really interesting because for 10 years, my focus was like dry bar, dry bar, dry bar. And then due to a lot of things like a shifting of the business, my divorce, like lots of things made that change. And it did put me into like, oh, what now? You know, and I have gone through the last like, probably like three years in this, like, which I think a lot of us have because of COVID in this like kind of transitional period, like, what do I really want to do? What makes me happy now? And I've been really searching for that. And, you know, a lot of it has come through investing in companies and people that like, I really believe in and, you know, with Squeeze and OK Humans, like I love these brands but I'm not in the trenches running them. You know, I'm an investor and advisor and I really believe in them, but like there was still something, you know, and I think that I am writing my second book now. I just got a book deal, which is, you know, more like a memoir. Congratulations. More of like what I hope it will serve as is like a really inspiring, like, and it's really a lot, a lot of what we talked about, you know, my whole journey and my whole like path to get to where I am, you know? And so now it's like, going back to the drawing board a little of like, what lights me up? Like, what's exciting to me? What do I want to do? And I've, you know, it's gotten really close to it. And and I'm excited about writing the book, albeit it's a very like therapeutic, cathartic experience, which is like on some days it's fun and some days it's not. I would say a lot of like my new, like what feels like my purpose is taking this, you know, role with Canopy because this is something I've never done. I've not come into a company at such a high level that was already established and had 
a lot of boxes checked. You know, these guys have been in business like 15 months or so, and they have tremendous success already. And I really believe in the humidifier and the power of what the humidifier does for our skin and their branding is great. And they've got a bunch of people working for them. So I'm able to come in. They're just like, they just launched in Sephora, which has been a big success. And like, I'm able to come in with like all this beauty experience, you know, my know-how in, in raising money, which they're in the middle of, you know, just lending all of my beauty expertise to this brand when it's like three guys who started it and they don't really get the beauty mold. So I'm able to come in and help with that and just kind of guide them a little bit in the beauty space. So it feels really, it was a surprise to me. And it was one of those things that was like, let me just keep kind of following the thing. And and, and really I ended up in that role because I was actually like talking to a lot of different people about starting another hair product line. And I was like, kind of sure I wanted to do that, but not a hundred percent. And then when this thing came along with Canopy, I was like, that's what I want to do. I really think that's what sounds cool to me. And I do, I love it. I believe in it. It feels very serendipitous, just kind of like how dry bar, you know, didn't invent blowouts. We just created a much better space, price point, atmosphere and experience around a blowout. You know, Canopy has done the same thing with humidifiers. It's like, humidifiers have been around forever. They've just been really bad and gross and and they have figured out all this technology to make them, you know, you throw the thing in the dishwasher. It's like, it, it just, you change a filter. It's super easy. It looks pretty and it's amazing for your skin. And that's really the mission here is to, is to educate women on like how much better your skin can look if you have a, humi- a humidifier, a canopy in your house. And, and I, I feel really drawn to it and called to it. And so I'm, I'm going with it. I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. You're like, you're able to give back now that you have this experience. And with all these different companies, you're able to really advise them. And I think this point you make about you didn't invent therapy or massages or blowouts or humidifiers. You just have this like touch of making the experience a heck of a lot better. And I think that's so special. And you can take that to any product. You can take that to any business, which is cool. So, I mean, who knows where you'll go next? That's really exciting. And congratulations on the book too. That's such a big deal. And excited to hear about that. And we'll obviously share with our listeners once that comes out. Well, I know we're, we're reaching the end here. I do have my final question for you. We do ask all our guests this question. And I know we touched on it a little bit for entrepreneurs specifically, but we like to ask all our guests, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to all 20-somethings, what would that advice be? You've said, trust the process. You've said, go out and travel and follow your passions. Is there one piece of advice you would give across the board, regardless of career, to all 20-somethings? Follow your own intuition and don't pay attention to what other people think is the right thing for you. Just go and do it and don't worry about what anybody thinks. I feel like that is really for me, what I think led me, set me up for success, which is going and doing whatever felt right to me and not caring what anybody else thought. I love that. And it makes sense too, with like you thinking of starting a hairline, but you were like, actually maybe canopy that feels better. And maybe on paper, everyone that was advising you was like, no, you're the hair queen, you know, go do that. But you were like, I want to do canopy. That's what my intuition says. And it is good for your hair and scalp too, so. Oh, it's very aligned. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. Can you let everyone know where they can find you on social and then where they can find all your amazing, you know, ventures and businesses? You know, right now, everything kind of lives on my Instagram, which is just Ali Webb, A-L-L-I-W-E-B-B. I have thought about starting a website, but I haven't gotten around to that yet. So my Instagram is kind of the hub right now. Perfect. Well, thank you for being here. This has been so fun. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something, anywhere you get podcasts.